Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing through the book of First Peter, and we are looking at chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, and this is a sermon that I preached, um, I believe, about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, here at Cedar Shoals, and it is entitled, The Church, Her Founder, Her Foundation, and Her Threefold Function. You see, since the beginning of time, God has desired a people for himself. Originally, God selected the nation of Israel to bring about his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus was a Jew born of the lineage and house of David of the tribe of Judah. We know the purpose of his people, Israel, was to evangelize the nations of the world. They were to be a light of the Gentiles, and this was to take place, of course, through the Messiah. But... Israel as a nation failed in that regard. Israel uh, constantly backslided. And then when God sent the Messiah, uh, Jesus, he was rejected by his own. The Bible says he came into his own, that being the Jewish people, and his own received him not. And yet even in Israel's failure, God's greater plan of establishing this organism of the new covenant that is the church the body of christ uh is seen and fulfilled and so in peter's passage about the church here we have her founder her foundation and her threefold function i want to jump right in in verse uh chapter 2 verse 4 coming to him as to a living stone The church of the living God is centered upon the person and work of Christ. He is the living cornerstone of God's spiritual building. Peter uses construction language to illustrate the building and function of the church. He states, coming to him as a living stone. Notice coming to him, not to a physical building, not to a religious system, not to a ritual, but to a person. Come to him. Right away, we should note the very personal nature of the new covenant. That was the problem with Israel. They had replaced the benefactor with a building. They had placed relationship with ritual. And yet in the new covenant, we see that God's desire to to bring a people to himself is done through a personal and intimate means through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is the founder of the church. Now, when I say he's the founder of the church, I mean that he started the church. He is the one who paid for the church literally in his own blood. He is the CEO. He's the manager. He's the head of the board, and he's the only person on the board. He is the founder of the church. The church was not started by man, but by the living God. Many have said that they disdain the organized religion, but they are spiritual. Well, spirituality is certainly not, uh, excuse me, but their spirituality is certainly not Christian because local churches are biblical. The idea that the church is broken down into local churches is all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament. For very example, Peter is writing to a group of churches. The point is this, Jesus is the founder. Now, I want to use a proof text to make this point. 
Jesus and Peter, or in the rest of the south for that matter, engaged in conversation. And he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. He's talking about himself. He refers to Peter as the small rock, uh, Petros, little rock. But then he says, on this rock, Petra, big rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's Matthew 16, 18. And so Jesus is the founder of the church. He is the one he said, I will build. He's the one who started it. But he's not only the founder, but number two, he's the foundation of the church. So think about this. Matthew 16, 18. I will start it. I will build it, Jesus says. So he's he's the founder of the church. But he says, I'll build it upon Petra. But Peter, you're Petros. You're, you're Little Rock. I'm Petra, Big Rock. So he says, I'm starting it, and I'm going to build it on myself. And that is why Peter, and no doubt, Pete, this conversation that he had with Jesus years ago is burning in his mind as he's having Sylvanus write this down. There's no doubt about that. So Jesus is not only the founder of the church, he is the foundation of the church. It is built upon his word and his work. Now the cornerstone in ancient architecture was the foundational stone laid in an extreme corner and everything built out from that was was measured uh, by and, and ruled by that cornerstone. Okay, that's one suggestion of what's at play here. Others have suggested that he's referring to uh, the the cornerstone in the building that was in the center and held everything else up in ancient architecture, like a, I guess like almost like a keystone. I would argue this. Peter doesn't suggest one or the other, but I would argue this. It's both. Is Jesus not the measure? Is he not the pattern? He said, do, do as I've done. He told the disciples to love each other as I have loved you. Christian means little Christ. We're to be Christ-like. We're to imitate Christ. But at the same time, Jesus holds the church together. and all In him, all things are held together. Uh, he's the head of the church according to Colossians 1. So what if Peter means both in? I think that's what's at play here. So the the church is God's idea, and Christ is the founder and the foundation. It is built upon his word. When he sent the disciples out, he told them, teaching others, teaching all, all things I have commanded you. That's what he instructed them. So he that loves me keeps my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, all, he is the foundation in that the church is built upon his work. Now, as far as the centrality of Christ, we have to consider the Old Testament temple language he's using. He calls Christ a living stone, not the physical temple made up of rocks and mortar or whatever, but a living stone organism the living stone and so we come to jesus not to judaism 
Third, we become the temple of God, a holy priesthood. In short, the person and work of Jesus replace the old covenant and the temple system. No longer are lambs slain because the lamb was slain. No longer is the high priest needed because we have a more excellent high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one mediator between God and man, as Paul told Timothy. Everything and more that was available in the old covenant is available in one place and in one person, Jesus Christ. And so he is the foundation but also the founder. But then he says something interesting. He says, uh, but chosen by God and precious, verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up, a house, a holy priesthood. Now why does he call us a holy priesthood? Because the priest in the Old Testament, what did he have that the common man didn't have? He had access to God. And of course, the high priest had the ultimate access into the Holy of Holies. But he says, you are a holy priesthood. I, I don't have to go through the priest, if you will, using this Old Testament temple language. I'm my own priest. I go to God directly because of what Jesus has done. And that's what's at play here, that Peter is showing how central Christ is in the church. And that's where we've lost our way. The Pope is not the center of the church. The pastor is not the center of the church. Christ is the center of the church. And, and, and let me say this, Caesar is not the head of the church either. It's all about Christ. He is the founder. He is the foundation. We have direct access to God. Now, but what of the function of the church? I mean, this is really the meat of the message where I'm getting now. I mean, we, we the founder and the foundation, that you know, that rhymes and that's great and everything, and, and it is. It's all about Jesus Christ. But it's easy to just stand up and say, hey, this church thing is all about Jesus, and then leave it at that. Okay, but why is it here? Why is the church in existence? What is the church to be doing that is a far more pressing issue and so in the rest of this passage we consider the function of the church and it's threefold number one worship number two work number three witness he said you're being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to what to offer up offer that's a verb Something you do, work, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So now we find that we were saved to do something, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now remember the Old Testament, again, he's, he's using Old Testament language, talking about the temple and the priesthood and comparing it to the church. In the Old Testament, the priest's job was to offer up physical sacrifices. He'd slay the lambs, the turtle doves for the poor people, the calves, and all that stuff. To sacrifice to God in the tabernacle or in the temple, depending on when the temple was built, which part of Israel history you're looking at. And however, in God's new covenant, we are all priests after the order of Melchizedek in the sense that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices, not physical ones. This speaks of our service to Christ through the local church. 
As I've always said, the church was saved to serve, not to sit. Sadly, many people believe that they get saved, sit on a pew, and that's the end of it. Nothing could be further from the truth. He said that you're saved to offer up. You're being built up to offer up. That's a verb. You need to do something. In the Old Testament, if the priest would have sat around and done nothing, the people would be doomed. The priest is not just a title. That's a function. That's a role. That's a job. Our labor is to be spiritual sacrifices. Now, what is that? Well, in the first place, it's worship, the threefold function of the church. Number one, worship. Part of what the priests did was worship. They led the people in worship of God and corporate worship. By the way, let me just say this. You can't participate in corporate worship if you never show up to corporate worship. <laughs> let me put it in plain English. If you don't come to church, you can't be the church. We are called to come together and to worship the Lord. To exalt him. You you read the Old Testament. The congregation of Israel. Come, they'd sing the praises of God. They would uh, study the scripture. They would be taught by the rabbis. And the priests etc etc. There was all these different functions. Of worship. But they all could generally be described. As worship. We're commanded to do so. Secondly. Work. The priest worked. You are offering up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord when you work because when you work for the Lord, your work is worship. When you serve by singing in the choir, not only you worship, you know, in the sense that you're singing God's praises, but you are doing a service for the Lord through his body, the body of Christ, through the local church. So it is it is work, but it is also worship. In this sense, it's two sides of the same coin. Your work becomes worship because it's done for the Lord in the house of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord with the people of the Lord. And so it becomes worship. When you volunteer like at our church for the safety team, youth ministry, children's ministry, vacation, Bible school, or whatever, if you serve on the deacon board, if you teach Sunday school, if you're a greeter, if you help clean up after stuff. I mean, what the list goes on and on and on. That's your function, to serve the Lord by serving the local church. You say, you make a big deal about the local church. Yes, yeah, so did Jesus. <laughs> so did Paul. So did Peter. Let's see, Paul wrote his letters to the Churches, the local churches, not just in a generic sense as in the body of Christ, but actual physical groups of people. Well, I don't know about that. Well, can you read? To the church at Galatia, to the church at Philippi, two different letters, two different groups of people. Obviously, he wasn't speaking in generalities. He had a local church in mind. To the church at Corinth. You can't serve God without serving through the local body of believers. Christianity is communal by nature. We're made for community. So the two 
the first two of the threefold function of the church, work and worship, or worship and work. You see, the question is, are you serving in worship and work? I would challenge you to get involved. If you're not, then you're not walking in your function as the church. And if you're not in function, then you're in malfunction. You know, the church is described as a body and we're different members, different eyes, ears, elbows, etc. Well, let me ask you something. This idea of function, the function of the church, and this idea that we're like a body knit together, almost like a machine, because the body is a machine, really. Let me ask you something. If you take a machine and one piece malfunctions, breaks, doesn't do its part, and the whole machine shuts down. It hinders the function of the machine because one piece is in malfunction. So whether you go to my church, your church, whatever, I want to ask you, are you function? Are you in the function of the church? Or are you part of the malfunction of your church? Well, if you're serving and worship and work, you're in the function. You're functioning. But if not, you're part of the malfunction. You're part of the problem. I remember, and why is it that the people that want to complain the most about the church are always the ones that malfunction? Anyways, I remember I went to my pastor um, when I was younger. Um, and I was just, I forgot what I was belly aching about, complaining about something in the church. And he said, Brad... You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Man, that's it. You know, e either you're serving the church through work and worship, you're in the function, or you're part of the problem. And you and really, you ought to be complaining about yourself because you're part of the issue because you're not functioning. Finally, we see the third function of the church and that's witness witness so we come to the end of the passage we read verse 9 but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people we've dealt with that earlier that you why why are you here we'll serve up spiritual sacrifice yep yep that was dealt with but watch this that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, praises involve singing and praying to him and all that and thanking him, but I don't believe that is at all what Peter has in mind. He says to proclaim, to proclaim what? The praises. Why? Because you've been saved. There is an element here of witness. Worship and work, yes, that's been dealt with, but also of witness. You need to be proclaiming the goodness of God, the gospel. Telling others how you were pulled from the darkness so that they might be pulled from the darkness. And it was God's final order to the church. Through the incarnation, Christ said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. The church has a function. 
It's not a spiritual building for the sake of being a building. We are purposed to proclaim his praise by telling them of how he rescued us. Tell the story. I believe that's what was in Fanny Crosby's heart when she wrote, Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, right in the anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he lived again. This is our witness. So are you functioning or malfunctioning in the witness of the church? Are you witnessing? Are you worshiping? Are you working? C.H. Spurgeon said, Have you no desire for others to be saved? Then be sure you're not saved yourself. There's something wrong when somebody claims to be a child of God, but they're not walking in the function of witness and proclaiming the praises of God and telling the story of how he took them out of darkness. There's a major malfunction in that. This is the church. This is why we're here. Now that's, that's the problem. People think, well, you know, I just, you know, I don't like to talk about religion. I don't want to be controversial. Dude, you don't have a choice. The church is, is, is purposed to be a light in the darkness. We are here to tell others. Go and tell. Go and tell. That's the mantra of the New Testament. Go and tell. To be a witness. A witness is someone who recounts what they have seen, heard, or experienced. You can't be a witness without words. And so we have the church. Her founder, Jesus. Her foundation, you guessed it, Jesus. And her threefold function worship, work, and witness. This is the church. This is the body of Christ. The question is this. Are you a member? Not a member of the local church, but if you're a member of the church, you will love the local church. But are you in the body? Or did every bit of this just fly right over your head? Secondly, and this is to save people, this is my appeal to those who claim to know Christ. Are you in the function of the church? Or are you part of the malfunction? How's your worship? How's your work? How's your witness? The church is here for a purpose. Her founder, her foundation, and her threefold function. Thank you and keep studying the book of First Peter.